If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to continue our series on family. Family, Ephesians is where I'd like you to turn. I want to thank Pastor Allen. Boy, he just hit the ball out of the park two weeks ago. That message he did on singleness was just awesome. I want to thank Pastor Jeff last week. Did a good job in talking about how to keep your marriage strong. And you saw the video. He's out there in one of our new subdivisions, and he's talking about the importance of foundations. You've got to have a good foundation, not only for your marriage, but for your family, whatever that looks like. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're a grandparent who's raising grandchildren. You've got to have that good foundation. But you also need to protect the foundation. Years ago, when Linda and I moved into our home, uh, there was an ash tree right next to our deck. And through the years, that ash tree has grown to be this wonderful source of shade for us. We dearly love sitting on our deck with that ash tree giving us relief from the hot sun. And we eat many, many meals out there. But a couple summers ago, we noticed that there was a crack in our sidewalk. And pretty soon, we noticed the roots of that ash tree were kind of uh, creeping up. You could see them, and pretty soon they broke through the grass, and now it's just kind of a, a ball of roots, and those roots are unfortunately now working their way underneath the foundation of our house. So later this year, we're going to have to have that ash tree removed. We hate to do it, but we've got to protect our house. We've got to protect the foundation of our home. So we have to remove the ash tree in order to keep our home secure. And this morning, I want to talk about some of the roots that can creep into your marriage, creep into your family, that will damage your foundation. We all want strong foundations, but we also need to make sure that we protect the foundation. You know, no one deliberately, I've not talked to any couple who have split up or divorced that have ever wanted their marriage to end that way. No one deliberately damages their marriage or their relationship with their children or their grandchildren. We all want happy families, don't we? And the good news is God wants to give us happy families. If we will align ourselves with His Word and protect ourselves against the world who is always tempting us to do things that will devalue our family. Satan is out to kill, rob, steal, and destroy, and he does it in very subtle manners. Man, friends, we live in an evil world, and there are these worldly, subtle influences that more than we probably realize can creep into our marriages, into our families, begin to damage and sometimes destroy there's no perfect marriage, but when as followers of Jesus, you and I decide that we're going to have a marriage that's not only based upon the foundation of biblical principles, but that we will do what we need to do to protect. Maybe there's some ash trees in your life that need to come down to protect your marriage, to protect your family. And I trust that today God will reveal those things to you and you'll be willing to say, Lord, I surrender this area to protect my family. Keep in mind, the main goal of a marriage is not your happiness. It's not about you. It's not about your spouse making you happy. 
The main goal of your marriage is the same goal as your life, and that is to bring glory to God. Come on, there should be a lot of rousing amens right now. Your life, your marriage should bring glory to God because our marriages, our families are a picture of Christ and his bride. That's what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must respect her husband. Why? Because this is a mystery. This marriage thing, this family thing is a mystery. Paul says, I'm talking about Christ and her church. One of those scriptures that has double value. Remember that when you're interpreting scriptures. Many have double values. It applies to the kingdom of God. It also applies to our earthly lives, to our kingdom of our heart. So in the paragraph before, you know, if you've ever been to a wedding, he gives some very explicit instructions about wives, you should be this way. Husbands, you should be this way. Husbands, love your wives. Treasure them. So important. Wives, respect your husbands. They need to feel significant. That's the way that God has made us. But in this particular passage I want to look at this morning, he gives more general comments. Let's read beginning just with verse 15. It's Ephesians 5, 15. This is prior to all those specific instructions, you know, about submitting to one another and, and uh, uh, the husband being the head. This is kind of the foundation of this whole scripture. Ephesians 5, 15. Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to go through and explain all these verses in detail today. That's not the uh, the point of this message. But I want us to look at this more as some general things that can destroy your marriage. I call them the dirty dozen. Yes, there's 12 points to today's lesson. Yep. So I've been gone for a couple of weeks. I've, you know, saved them up for you. 12 points. So we're not going to spend very much time on any point, right? 12 deadly dangers to your marriage, to your relationship. Maybe you're engaged. Maybe you're dating someone. These things apply to you. We live in evil times. We need to avoid the roots of the ash tree, the world's dangers. We need to apply God's wisdom to our marriages. Man, the evil world presents many dangers that will destroy your marriage, your relationship, if you're not careful. Some of these may be more deadly than others. But if you fall into one or more of them, man, you know, the damage is multiplied. It's got this ripple effect. So let's look at them real fast. Number one, poor communication. Poor communication will damage or even destroy your marriage. Poor communication is one of the most prevalent causes of marital problems. You need to learn how to talk. You need to learn how to dialogue. 
Now, that can take different forms. Sometimes communication is being silent. And I'm not talking about being silent and giving your spouse the evil eye. That's what I'm not talking about. But in Ephesians 4.15, what does Paul say? Speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the head of the church. And as head, Christ is to be the Lord of all our communication. Remember that. Before you speak, ask yourself, are these words going to be pleasing to God? Not, are these words going to make me feel better because I'm going to vent? Or, are these words going to be pleasing to my spouse? No. If it's about glorifying God in communication, we need to ask ourselves, are these words going to be pleasing to Jesus? Are these words both truthful and loving? Am I trying to build my mate up? Man, just to blast your spouse because that's how you feel. (laughs) May be truthful, but it's not loving. You know what I'm saying? Man, a lesson that I've recently learned, just really in the past year, is you can almost be dishonest or deceitful about how you feel when you avoid communicating. It seems loving not to tell someone how you really feel, but it's not loving. Because that person leaves thinking that you feel a certain way when really you don't. So that's why communication is so important. The second danger is anger and abusive speech. Anger and abusive speech will damage your marriage because it's sinful. (laughs) And sinful anger is always destructive to any kind of healthy relationship. James says it in his epistle, James chapter 1. says you may be, you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Because human anger, listen to me church, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's why Paul commands in Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who who hear them. Proverbs is a a great book of uh, really pithy, practical statements. And in Proverbs chapter 15, and many of you have heard it, it says a gentle answer will deflect anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And we've all been in situations that we have erred and we have spoken in a harsh, abusive way and things get worse because it's like pouring gas on a fire. Now notice, please, here that all these verses assume that we are able to control our anger because we are. We're people of free will. You can choose to control your anger. Some people say, oh, I I just, I've always had a short fuse. Man, that just won't cut it. I'll just be honest with you. That's a lame excuse. Because with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can, with his help, control your speech. Man, when you get angry, 
you're not in submission to the sovereignty of God. God is in charge of our lives. If you have asked Christ into your heart, if you are walking in alignment with his word, the Bible says your steps are ordered of God. If that is true, then God is involved in every conflict in your marriage, every hurt, every frustration, and he is coming into those trying circumstances and making us more like him. In marriage, partners sometimes use anger to try to intimidate and control their mates. And man, that just creates more distance. It is wrong. The third thing I want to warn you about today is bitterness and lack of forgiveness. And I've done lots of teachings through the years on forgiveness. As you know, one of my favorite resources, and if, if, if you struggle in this area of forgiveness, N.T. Wright has a book called Total Forgiveness. I've preached out of it. I've taught out of it. It's a wonderful resource. Total forgiveness. Paul commands us in Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. And then he adds, be kind to each other. If the world ever needed to see a fruit of the Spirit in Christian's life in 2020, it's this fruit of kindness. We need to be kind to those we disagree with and who disagree with us. We need a baptism of God's kindness. And maybe some of you need that in your relationship. But bitterness and lack of forgiveness will prevent that. See, the antidote to bitterness and anger is forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean that you're pardoning that person, that you agree with that person, that that person has even accepted your forgiveness. Because we all know forgiveness is to clean our soul. It's for our benefit. And over the years, married couples will invariably wrong each other. You can't live with someone very long without having wronging one another. It's just the way it is. But if you don't deal with those wrongs in God's way, of forgiveness and kindness, it will build this dividing wall of resentment and bitterness. Watch out. It's a root that will damage your marriage. It's important to keep short accounts. That's why in 1 Corinthians it says, love doesn't keep records of wrongs. Man, don't go back and say, you remember back in 1989 when you... (laughs) Or do you remember back in 2019 when you... No. Don't keep records of wrongs. Man, if you lose your temper, don't say, I'm sorry I yelled at you, but your stubbornness made me do it. What are you doing? You're casting the blame. You're not taking responsibility. It's blaming your spouse for your sin. Don't even say, I'm sorry I yelled at you. (laughs) It might be true, but, you know, she's probably sorry too. You know what I'm saying? It's got to go deeper. It's got to go deeper. Saying that you're sorry, you know, expresses how you feel, but it doesn't accept the responsibility for your sinful behavior. So the proper way to deal with that, according to the Word of God, is, you know, I am really sorry I yelled at you, and God has convicted me of that. That was not behavior whether it was glorifying God or behavior in alignment with, with what Jesus wanted me to do, and I'm trying to overcome this. Take responsibility. 
And then if someone asks your forgiveness, I just want to remind you, as Christians, you don't have the option not to forgive. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Number four, sexual immorality. Now listen, sexual immorality beginning here in your mind, on the thought life. Don't tune me out and say, I've never cheated on my spouse, or I've never cheated on my... No, no. I'm talking about sexual immorality beginning in the thought life will damage your marriage. I emphasize beginning on the thought life because Jesus emphasized it. Not because I want to preach a hard message. I just want to tell you what Jesus said. You look at it. Mark chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Both of them talk about how all immorality begins in your mind. This means, guys, if you're secretly lusting after a woman other than your wife, that means, man, if you are looking at pornography, you are sabotaging your marriage. Don't say, well, I've never actually committed adultery. According to Jesus, yes, you have. And pornography is just rampant in our society. It's rampant in the church. And Jesus said, man, if you want to follow me, you've got to take some radical measures to get that lust out of your mind. And he uses these metaphors. You can't take this literally. He says, pluck your eye out, you know. You say, well, it's the literal word of God. That means i got to cut my eye out. No, Jesus is just making a statement, a metaphor, saying this is so serious. You've got to do whatever it takes to make sure that you get this mental lust out of your life. And again, this is really <laughs> not me. It's, it's, it's Jesus that is confronting maybe some of you, maybe some of you watching online. Now, here's the good news. There are men who have overcome day by day. It's just like being alcoholic or, you know, addicted to drug. It's one day at a time. But there are men here even in our church that have gone years without looking at pornography. And they have a great support group. And I just want to give you a resource right now. We have a group that meets every week called the Conquer Series or the Conquerors. And we're going to put some information on the screen right now. If you would like more information about that, if you're struggling with pornography, these guys will encourage you. You might remember I baptized a a young man last summer down at the river, and he actually gave his testimony, not only turning his life around, but turning his marriage around. And part of it he attributes to the conqueror. So there's a way to do that. Just go to our webpage, wfa.church. Go to opportunities. There's a drop-down message or a menu. Go to connection groups, and you'll see Conquer. And there, there's a place that just says, contact me. That'll go to the person who facilitates that group. And we, we want to protect your confidence, but we want to help you. Man, the aim of marriage is to glorify God and that forgiveness and that restoration of the marriage and, and cutting that root out brings glory to God. 
In the Old Testament, you know, God often accuses his people Israel of spiritual adultery. Over and over, he offers them forgiveness if they'll just repent. And only after repeated spiritual adulteries does God finally, according to Jeremiah 3, say, okay, that's it, I'm going to divorce you. Man, make sure that there's no sexual immorality, even on the thought level. Number five, and this is obvious, but I want you to hear. Alcohol and drug abuse is one of the dirty dozens that will damage your marriage. I'm not addressing this today as, you know, can a Christian drink wine or not? That's not what I'm talking about here today. I'm just saying alcohol and drug abuse is one of those roots that can damage the foundation of your family. I tell you, after 35 years of ministry here in Wenatchee, I can tell you I've seen, I don't know if dozens, but I've seen a lot of Christian homes torn apart by alcohol and drug abuse. And many argue that their alcoholism and drug addictions are diseases. And I understand that, and I get that, and I agree with that, partially, but not totally. Because any kind of abuse is a sin. But they also, as we know, have this physiological uh, uh, aspect of them. So once a person is addicted, whether it's to pornography or to wine or whatever, his body craves it, his mind craves, craves it. And pretty soon you begin to compromise and become a, a closet drinker or lie about where you've been or all of a sudden use a lot more breath mints than you used to, whatever it might be. I'm so proud we have a young lady in our church who just came to a point of admitting, man, you know, I'm an alcoholic. And she reached out for help. She's doing so very well. And her marriage is better and her kids are better. and every, Because... She came to that point of saying, you know, I'm not talking about whether I'm saved or God loves me or it's a sin issue. Or I'm just saying this is something that is damaging the foundation of my walk with Jesus and the foundation of my marriage and the foundation of my family. And I'm so glad that she became transparent and allowed the Holy Spirit to help her get the help she needed. And he can do the same for you. See, no one ever becomes addicted to alcohol or drugs without choosing to take that first drink. And the Bible calls it a deed of the flesh. Because so often we use those things to relieve stress. They're an escape. Food is my escape. And that's really, it might not have as severe as consequences as alcohol or drugs, but it's still wrong. Because Jesus is the one that we all should be turning to. He's the one that can give us peace. He's the one that can give us, you know, that sense of hope and love and security. He's the one that can give us the peace that passeth all understanding. Number six, selfishness will damage your marriage. And this is a tough one because selfishness is the center of our society. It's all about me. It's about my rights. It's about what I want. And the Bible says, no, it's not. Selfishness takes many forms. We understand that. 
As I said, selfishness is the root cause of anger, but it's the root cause of every sin. In the English language, I is in the center of the word sin. Now, that's not true in other languages, but in our languages, it is. And selfishness was damage your marriage. Man, whether you're a husband or a wife, when you insist that you're right and you won't listen to your spouse's views, that's just wrong. That's going to damage your marriage. Men who won't think about their wife's needs or how she feels, only thinks about his needs. You know, goes off, buys whatever he wants for himself, and then deny his wife the same privilege. Spends time fishing and hunting and golfing and doing all that with his friends, but expects his wife to be home to do things that will make his life more comfortable. That's just selfishness. And you've got to be careful of those roots. I love the book that Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote. It's called Life in the Spirit, Marriage, Home, and Work. Because our life in the Spirit should actually, you know, be um, who we are no matter where we are. He says, the real cause of failure ultimately in marriage is always self and the various manifestations of self. Self and selfishness are the greatest disrupting forces in the world. That's why Jesus said, come to me, I'll redeem your past, I will save you, but you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow me. That's where most of us in the American evangelical church, we kind of draw a line there. Oh, yeah, we want your salvation, Lord. <laughs> we want your peace. We want your healing when you're in provision. But denying ourselves, no, no, we can't do that. But that's what a disciple does. Make Jesus not only your Savior, make Jesus your Lord. And the Lord is the one that tells you what to do and what not to do. So it's not about what I want. It's about what does Jesus want? What does Jesus want? The Bible says if anyone wishes to come after me, he's got to deny himself. The second greatest commandment, according to Matthew chapter 22, love your neighbor as you love yourself. To love requires killing yourself every day. Not easy, but that's why God has sent to us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. And you can ask him to rise up within you and help you to live a life that will glorify God. I've got to hurry. It was 7.7. Competition instead of cooperation damages your marriage. Your marriage should not be competitive. Many Christian couples are vying for dominance and power. And it comes through the way they exchange maybe barb comments or use humor. And you know, they might say, oh, we're just joking. But competition, wherever it is, in a marriage, in a church, it goes against the truth that we're members of one another. We're one body. Our aim is to build each other up, whether you're the hand or the foot or the ear or the nose. And if your arm is competing against the rest of your body, you've got a big problem. And that's true of your marriages. We need to cooperate. It's just this mentality we bought into that, you know, we've got to win. 
We've got to convince people that this is the way to interpret the Word of God. We've got to win with our doctrines. We've got to win with, you know, what our wants, what our desires are. Man, it's not about winning, friends. It's about loving. It's about glorifying Jesus. It's about learning how to show respect and cooperate. Jesus has already won. He came out of the grave on the third day after he was nailed to the cross. He's defeated death itself. We don't have to worry about winning. Jesus has already won. Praise the Lord. We are on the winning side. You don't need to defend God. You don't need to fight for God. Be still. Let God do the fighting. Let's trust in him. Number eight, you still with me? How many toes have I stepped on? Financial irresponsibility. Financial irresponsibility. I read multiple times, read it again recently through Symbus, which is a a program that we use here at First Assembly um, called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. But I've read disagreements over money. It's a major cause of divorces in America. Sometimes a freewheeling, impulsive spender, you know, marries a cheapskate who won't buy anything that's not on sale. Well, you're, you're going to have to work overtime to live in harmony. But you've got to realize that. The starting place is to begin to study what God's Word says about financial stewardship. And I'll just throw this out. If you haven't taken Financial Peace University, we've offered it a couple times. You know, right now it's a little difficult to to offer it in this season we're in, but we will offer it again, and I would encourage you, or go online, Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. It's a good starting point. Because the problem is made worse if, if couples are competing and not cooperating because they get into these spending wars. Well, you went out and bought that new motorcycle you couldn't afford, so I'm just going to take a trip to Hawaii with my friends. What? <laughs> Financial irresponsibility. And there's so many families, the bills, the credit card interest skyrocket. Tensions in marriage increase to not only a level of tension, but almost a level of explosion. And the solution goes back to doing things God's way. The solution is to manage your money according to the principles of God's Word. Number nine, mismanaging your time. And I want you to stay with me. Because this is important. You might not have a lot of money. You might not have problems with some of these other areas. But we all have the same amount of time. Where are you spending your time? Paul says what we are to be wise by making the most of our time. Go back and read the text. That's what it says. It's easy for particularly men, but in some cases women, to fall into this workaholic trap where you neglect your family. It's not just about money. Yes, we need to provide financially for our family, but just as importantly, you need to provide emotionally. You need to provide spiritually. There's a lot of people out there that would rather have had less material goods growing up and more of their father throwing a baseball with them or a mom just hanging out reading or doing a puzzle with them. Many families get overloaded, too many activities, 
husbands and wives going in different directions, not even spending time with one another. And a frequent marital problem is that early in the marriage, often the husband does pour himself into his career, and he rationalizes those long days, those business trips, and they think, man, if I don't do this, I'm going to get passed over for the promotion, or I'm going to get fired. And meanwhile, the you know, family grows and there's children born and the wife's time's focused on rearing them. Or if she's also working an outside job, she doesn't have any spare time and pretty soon that root of that ash <laughs> begins to destroy that relationship. And you both become vulnerable. And unfortunately, I've had a lot of men in my office with tears running on their face saying, you know, I really didn't mean for it to go this far. But, you know, this lady listened to me. She seemed to understand me. And the devil found a way to take that man a lot farther than he wanted to go with devastating effects. So at its root, mismanaging your time will make you more susceptible to some of these other areas that I'm warning you about or the Scripture is warning us about. Number 10, wrong expectations. You know, wrong expectations. That's why we have disappointments. We have wrong expectations. You go someplace, you're expecting something, and it doesn't meet your expectations, so you're disappointed. And many couples enter a marriage with these crazy expectations. Well, once we get married, he's going to change. No, he won't. No. She's not going to change either. You know what I'm saying? The man's expectation is his wife stay at home and keep the house, and that's wonderful. But if her expectation is she wants to have a career, conflict's ahead. The wife expects her new husband to make a pile of money so they can move up in the world and she can have finer things. And his expectation is, no, I just want to pay the bills and live simply and just enjoy life and, you know, give the rest of my money to missions. Man, there's going to be a train wreck in that conflict. So the solution is to talk about expectations and to mutually establish biblical goals for your marriage. Paul warns in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Listen to the word of God. For we have brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. If we have food and covering with these, shall we be content. But those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into the ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it has wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We know Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all those other things will be added unto you. Number 11, worldliness worldliness. Revelation talks about Babylon. Babylon really means the world perspective of things. A lot of people right now are buying into worldliness because of our polarized, divisive uh, culture. 
and all the political debates. And worldliness will creep in and it will destroy your marriage. To be worldly is to adopt the world's values and the world's ways as opposed to the values and the goals and the ways of God. And I just encourage you, hold to the values of God, not to the values of your favorite politician or your favorite preacher or your favorite whatever. Hold to the values of God. If God says compassion is a value, then compassion is a value. If God says forgiveness is a value, if God says generosity is a value, if God says others are more important than yourself, that's a biblical value. And worldliness can creep in when we begin to see things as the world do. You say, well, that's the value is the dollar, or the value is this or that, or the world says marriage is to make you happy. You hear that all the time. Marriage is to make you happy. If your marriage isn't making you happy, get divorced and find someone who will make you happy. That's a worldly value. Don't buy into that. The biblical value is, man, your lifelong marriage is to bring me glory by reflecting the relationship I have with the church. Yes, we're going to have conflict, but the Lord is here to help us. The world says, stand up for your rights. And the Bible says, regard other people more important. Worldliness will damage your relationship with God, your relationship with your significant other whether that's a husband or a wife or a fiancé or a girlfriend or boyfriend. Finally, number 12, this is the end. Someone say amen. (laughs) I promise I'll never do another 12-point sermon. (laughs) Drifting from the Lord. This is probably the most important of all the points. Should have started with this before you all fell asleep. Drifting from the Lord. The best thing you can do for your marriage is get close to Jesus. And do you know the best thing you can do for your kids is to love your spouse. When your kids see mom and dad loving one another, working through problems, praying with one another, that's the best thing you can do for your kids. Love God and love your spouse. Man, I often point out at weddings that marriage is like this triangle. And you've seen this illustration. God to the top, the couple's at the bottom, and as the couple both move closer to God, what happens? They move closer to one another. As their relationship with God becomes more intimate, their marriage will become more intimate. If they go in the opposite direction, if they go distant from one another, or distance from God, they're going to grow distant from one another. God's Word gives us wisdom we need to avoid these 12 dangers. I know it's, it's been a lot. I hope you'll go on our webpage, wfa.church slash family. wfa.church slash family. There's discussion questions. All 12 points are on there. I give resources on there, and that's a great way for you to put into practical uh, practice 
what I've tried to teach today from God's Word. Just want to refresh Paul's commandment out of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Father is. Watch how you walk. Where do you find wisdom? Proverbs 2 says, the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives you wisdom. And the will of God is that you and your family will glorify Him. So the action point today, again, is if you're not spending consistent time in the presence of God, in His Word, in prayer, start there. Start there. Second action point, I just encourage you, sit down sometime this week with your spouse, with your, your significant other, and uh, just kind of evaluate your relationships. And again, I encourage you to go to wfa.church slash family. Let's pray. Jesus, we've talked about a lot of things today, but it's all been out of your word, and it's all been good. And Lord, sometimes uh, there's roots that are beginning to grow in our own marriages, in our own relationships, maybe with our kids and our grandkids, maybe with our friends, maybe with our coworkers. God, this uh, passage of Scripture does have double value. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just release, in the name of Jesus, the Spirit to show us if there's any danger, any roots that are beginning to damage the foundation of our relationship with you. We love you. We pray that you'll help us, Lord, to glorify you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.